Listener Production. I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years, I've had so many couples close to me divorce. Five, actually, at the last count. My sister is one of those. Now, there's one or two couples in that group that have been really struggling for years and divorce really did seem like the best solution for them. But for some of the other couples, I just scratched my head as to why it didn't work. Take my sister. You have never met a more in love couple in those early years. They were great parents. They seemed like a real team. But over the last couple of years, the cracks have started to show through. The niggles turned to blame, contempt even. But were these just ruts that could have been worked through with some careful focus or are couples like this always destined for the big D? This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. When you think about till death do us part, that really is a very long time to be with someone. And as life presents so many pressures, often our relationships bear the brunt and may even be blamed for the upsets and disappointments that we experience. So what do we do when our relationship is in such a dark place or or even just a big old rut that the grass on the other side just seems so much greener? Melissa Ferrari is a clinical psychotherapist with over 20 years experience in couples counselling and individual psychotherapy. She specialises in relationship therapy, especially those couples thinking of separating. Thanks for joining me today, Melissa. Hi, Amelia. Thanks for asking me to do this with you today. You get to be privy to so many couple sessions. Now, when a couple presents to you thinking of separating... What are the most common pain points that you observe and particularly I'm thinking with parents in mind? Look, there's those classic things, you know, like money, mess, sex, kids, all of that. (laughs) That's a laundry list, isn't it, right there? It is, it sure is, it sure (laughs) is. But quite often a lot of topics can be around someone in the relationship feeling quite neglected, unloved, potentially even abandoned by their partner. That's that's a big one. The other one can be around parenting styles. Yeah. And other things like, you know, somebody might be um, addicted to something like, you know, yeah. pornography, drugs, alcohol, shopping. Yeah. You know, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And I, I guess for today's chat, because it is, you know, such a broad topic, I probably want to park the traumas like addiction, infidelity, like the, you know, the really big fundamental issues, abuse, etc. And I probably just want to focus on those relationships that just are in that horrible rut situation. Okay, great. I'm glad that's clear. Yeah, I know, because (laughs) otherwise it's just too massive a topic to talk about. I really just, you know, for the mum sitting here now going, oh, like he just, he blinks and I just want to kill him. He annoys me so much. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, you know, the mum is feeling like she is neglected and like, you know, he's really hard on her. So, so kind of more about that when the dynamic is shifted. And I guess I just want to circle back to that lovely laundry list that you mentioned up front. Is there an overarching theme with all of those things? Like a a lack of connection or an inability to communicate or, or something like that? Okay, so I'm probably going to talk just for a little bit mm-hmm. around when we first fall in love, 
we fall in love and we have all of those wonderful hormones going through the body, you know, mm-hmm. like it's dopamine-rich and yep. oxytocin and it's yep. very, very exciting. So it's like a cocktail. Yeah, a cocktail, the honeymoon cocktail that I have exactly. haven't, haven't drunk from that for a very long time. Right, okay. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, you got me on cocktails. You said cocktails and my mind started wondering. That's another story. That's for another okay, time. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. The cocktail, the, the cocktail of love, yes. Yeah, and um, for some, like, studies have been done that it can be uh, like being on cocaine. It is such a strong, addictive process. It's done for a reason by, you know, science so that we will <laughs> go on and have children and do all the things that Mother Nature. Do. That's right. So... What happens after a while is that we start to do this process of automating our partner. It's the brain. Where we go, the brain goes, I know you, we've been together for a little while, you're familiar to me, which can feel very, very safe and secure. There's the advantages. But there's a huge downside. We stop being curious Mm -hmm. and we stop paying attention And this automating process that the brain does gets couples into trouble. Now, I'm not going to say all couples, but very many. Yeah, okay. And when you say it gets us into trouble, what sort of patterns does this trigger in us? Well, when we stop paying attention, when we stop being curious... When we start to lack interest in our partner's inner world, Mm. all kinds of things can start to come up. And it can be issues like feeling unloved, feeling like you're not being paid attention to. Abandonment issues can come up. And so the list goes on and on of what it creates. And this can be very much at an unconscious level yeah, because... The agreement was that we came in here and we were going to love each other forever and it was always going to be like it was in the beginning. Yeah. So later I'll talk about a a remedy to that. Yes, good. And I do want to get there, but you mentioned, and I love that you said our inner world and you said that we stop paying attention to the inner world because... You can go through the motions. How was your day, dear? What's going on? Oh, oh, you had that gripe and you sort of, you know, tick the boxes of of connecting. But, and I'm going to generalize here, so apologies. Say you've got a husband who is the sort of typical, not the touchy-feely type and the she'll be right mate. Uh, trying to connect with their inner world can be challenging because if I sat down with my husband and put my hands on his shoulders and stared in his eyes up close and said, honey, tell me how you're really feeling. I, he would just want to get away as fast as possible. Can you give me a shortcut to when we have got someone who's hard to connect with that inner world, a shortcut to connecting when you've got kids running around and you're pretty tired? <laughs> and you're pretty tired, yeah, okay. So what what you're probably talking about there is different attachment styles. Okay. Okay. And attachment styles are what are formed young in our development with the caregivers around us, Mm -hmm. whether it be your parents or or whoever whoever took care of you or, in some cases, whoever whoever didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. where where there was not that attention paid. Yeah. So we all have different attachment styles. And to make this as succinct as I can, they basically – 
break down into three different ones. We're either anxiously attached, avoidantly attached or securely attached. So securely attached are people that are kind of good at relationships and come from a family where that was done very, very well. There was that two-person system. How do you feel? How do I feel? Can we join together and and be together in that? Mm -hmm. Then we have more of the anxious style, which is someone who is a little bit more clingy. They like to have lots of conversation and talk to their partner. Mm -hmm. And then the third style is what we call avoidant. And so an avoidant style can be someone who doesn't need regulating from their partner so much where there's lots of conversations. They tend to um, like to process on their own as opposed to someone who's anxious who likes to process things together. Okay. And so let's talk about the dynamic if you had one of the avoidants and then one of the anxious. When that dynamic is there, how do you work that out? Okay. So first of all, I think is understanding these different styles. Most couples can go around in a loop that just continues over and over the same pattern, same argument. We keep doing this and we're not resolving. Yes. And there needs to come a point where, yes, we got into the relationship in the beginning. We all show our best selves in in the beginning. And then what happens after a while? You become family. Yeah. And what do we do in family? We're ourselves and we do all those things like toothpaste squirting out of the toothpaste (laughs) tube. All All the annoying things that drive us mad. Exactly. And it's going to happen to everybody, right? Yeah. Because we're in our new family with this new person. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that people get into a rut around this and it's like, Why isn't it like it was in the beginning? The beginning was so lovely. It was so easy. Remembering you were propped up on something as strong as a drug. The hormone cocktail. Exactly. The honeymoon cocktail. So when you do have a couple that presents to you saying, look, we're thinking of separating, Mm. what's the process that you take with that couple to either help them decide or to help them consciously uncouple. How do you unpack all this in your couples therapy? Okay, so the model that I use is the psychobiological approach to couple therapy. Okay, we call it PACT. PACT, PACT okay? yes. Okay, okay. I've heard of PACT. And PACT was created by Dr. Stan Tacken, who wrote the book Wired for Love. Fabulous book, I recommend. Okay, I recommend Wired for Love. Buy. Okay, I'll look Wired it up. Wired for Love, Dr. Stan Tacken. And so what, I, what I'm doing is when people come in, people are telling their story, okay, and she did this and then I said that and then this happens every morning or this happens every week or we have this big blow up every three months, yep. whatever story that people are telling yep. me. Now, when people are telling a story, we believe we're right and that our perspective is correct. And perspectives like smoke and mirrors, mm. okay? Yeah. Who knows whose perspective is right? They always say there's three sides to every story, his side, her exactly. side, and the truth. <laughs> exactly. So my job in the beginning is to just listen. So the first session with me can really feel like a bit of an interview. Yeah. Not an interrogation if I'm doing it right. And I'm just listening and I'm actually watching And what I'm doing is things like, say one partner is speaking, I'm looking at the other partner. 
to see their reaction. Have they shut down? Are they not listening? Do they interject? Exactly. Is that the sort of the signals that you're picking up from? Exactly. The eye rolling. The eye rolling. Eye rolling is contempt, right? And so when I'm starting to see eye rolling and lots of looking away with the other person, I'm able to detect how how much trouble this couple is in. Right. So I do all of that observation and my sessions go for the first session up to three hours. Wow. The reason why I do that is because one hour for couple therapy is never enough. Okay. Because you can't get enough information. You've got two people. Yeah. And you can't be watching the reactions of the other without time. So time is what's on my side as a couple therapist to really work out what's going on. And so explain the PACT method. Once you've listened and understood this, what do you then do next? How do you help them to move forward? So there's three areas in PACT. I feel it's important to say that we are working with attachment. Mm -hmm. We're working with the brain, neuroscience, what happens in the brain, particularly that process, the cocktail that I was talking about earlier. And then the third area is around arousal, arousal regulation. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about the couple where, and we all know it, we may be it ourselves, when they fight or when they argue, one goes into that real screechy, screaming, angry. red zone. Exactly. It doesn't always look like that. It can look like um, many, many things. Okay. And either both will be up there in what we call a hyperarousal. Okay. This is the nervous system. Or you know those couples where one does that and the other one checks out. Yeah. The other one's in the in the zone of more, more depressed, more upset, more quiet, more shutting down. Okay. And that can feel like a power play issue as well in some couples. Can the one that feels shut down you know, feel like the other one's being overly aggressive or, yeah, they're feeling unheard. And that's that sort of, I guess, power dynamic that you hear some couples complaining about. Absolutely. The brain is always looking for any detection of threat. Okay. So that's the sort of second element of the of the pact. And then what was the third thing you said? Attachment, mm-hmm. neuroscience and arousal regulation. Oh, I see. Okay. Sorry. I put the two together. Okay. So they're the things that you're kind of, you're wanting to get feedback on and understand. Mm. Yes. And it can be through visual body language, the eyes, what people are doing with their eyes. I'm looking at things like lips, if lips are really pursed, you know, it's like they're, but they're saying, I love you. Mm -hmm. Through pursed lips. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So those kind of things is what what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And as normal human beings, that's why people pay someone like me to actually detect this stuff because people don't know what they're doing. People have no, no idea. No, because it's all automated. You know, once you've been with someone for so long, it's just inherently who we are. It is. So, so what do you do with all this information? You've gathered all that <laughs> and yes, then... So it's like I've sort of played investigator. Yeah. Well, then I will start to correct things. Okay. It might be I will support the couple... If we have someone, to give the example quickly, if somebody is someone that tends to scream or yell or get angry, you know, some people show all their their teeth, Mm -hmm. which is almost like a predatory kind of, that's going to create threat in in their partner. 
So I might say something like, just drop your voice a little bit and say that to your partner again. And I'll stop them and I'll say, what do you see? Yeah, okay. Oh, it seems like he's or she's actually listening to me or, or heard me. Okay, so what are, the, what are they doing that tells you that? And they say, well, they're looking a little bit calmer than usual. Okay. So the idea is that that experience, because we're sponges, when we get that experience through working with me, it has become almost like a blueprint. Wow, we can do this. Okay. So do you then take those, I guess, tips that you've given them and those strategies, you give them to them to go home, practice, to try them. They come back, you know, a week later or a few weeks later and hopefully they've been able to unlock some conversations without, you know, getting into that threat and hyper-aroused state. I don't send people home with homework or work it out. I do it all live in the office. Okay. And the idea is, is for me to help facilitate the process that they can do it. Because when they go home, everything kind of, you know, starts to be the old stuff comes in, the environment and all of that. So PACT is in the moment, lively. We're walking around room. We're setting up scenarios. We're doing all kinds of things. Imagine you are in the kitchen and that fight Mm. happened. Let's do it here now. Yeah, and the great thing is that a lot of the issues we have are repetitive issues and you can almost you could almost sort of list them out and they essentially happen in a similar way. What do you do when you get a couple coming and one wants to be there but the other doesn't. Okay, so again, I'm, I'm observing and I'm watching and so I might start to ask the other partner, you know, do you think they're on board? And the other partner might say, no, he or she hasn't been for two years, okay? And then my job, you know, without going into, into theory and being a therapist, is to uncover that and unpack that so that we work that out. And I want to work that out pretty quickly. Mm. I want to work that out today you know, if someone's on board or not. Because is it that you don't want to come to therapy because you're done? Like you actually are so done with this relationship that you don't even have the energy to go to therapy about it. And I guess that would be a pretty clear signal of what the best movement forward would be. Yeah. Versus I'm just so angry that I just can't talk about it or I don't want to talk about. It depends on what stage people are at. And I think when someone is angry... That's the kind of stuff that you do still have enough energy in it and somebody's on board enough to really, really work with it. Now, sometimes people come to therapy and they think they have decided they're done. Yes. Right? Yes. But they start to notice in the therapy something different. Mm. And it might be, oh, with the therapist here, you know, he or she's really listening. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm orchestrating something different. Yep. And when we experience something different, we can't say, no, that didn't happen because mm. it, it has happened and my job is to remind them of that. But you said last week or 
you know, and this is where I kind of say it feels a little bit like a CSI and that's what makes it so exciting. I love it Yeah, for this reason. Yeah, I can see. Mm. And so what about couples with children? Because when you've got children, you might be really unhappy in your relationship, but you decide that you're just going to live with it for the sake of the kids. How does a couple with, with kids, how do you treat them? Do you treat them differently to another couple? Do you suggest they try to work it out for the sake of the kids? What's your approach? First thing is you know, I'm, I'm asking them questions. And, and the first question that I ask would be, is the relationship first? Well, no, the children come first, I'm sure. You'd get that reaction a lot, I imagine. Yeah. And what do you say to that? <laughs> I ask, do you, do you both agree on that? Because mm. if you both agree, agree on that, that's great. And it really happens. One says, no, I want the relationship first. The other says, no, the kids will always be first. And I let them know, well, that's your first problem. Oh, that's so interesting. You're not in the same place. What a great question for our listeners. Yeah. Honestly, think about your relationship and think about your kids. Which comes first? Which should come first, Melissa, in your opinion? In my opinion, I think if the relationship comes first, everybody benefits. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, and the kids benefit. I don't feel so guilty about going on my date nights now. No, they're, <laughs> they're important. They're important. So now I'm never telling people that that, you know, if people agree that they both want kids first, I'm okay with that and we'll work with it and we'll see, and we'll see maybe what happens and I might point out where it's going to be problematic. But if anything, what's first needs to be agreed on. Okay. But my recommendation is always relationship first. And the reason is, is because when we get into relationship, we're in a little survival mode. We're in a little survival pact. Mm. And everything we do is about survival. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's how we, we are primed. And um, it, that's evolution and, all, you know, all, all of that stuff that, that contributes. So this system is a system of survival that we've got each other's back when there's a, you know, a, the big wide world of something like coronavirus or war out there, mm -hmm. you know, you and I protect each other yeah, and we protect each other in a way that's deliberate and conscious. Yeah. That's beautiful. And <laughs> parenthood does feel like the Hunger Games or <laughs> a world war. You've got, yeah. you know, dive bombers coming at you every direction and you do need to be a team. And when you're working as a team together and you're in that flow as a couple, life around you just feels so much easier and you do feel so much safer and secure. And on the flip side, when it's not working, gosh, I know when our relationship's not in a great place, my world around me crumbles and it's a really stressful place to be. Yeah. What about when someone's own self-worth and their own self-esteem is clouding their views on their relationship? So let me say that someone's really unhappy. Maybe they're not happy with their career progression, their financial situation, and so they look to blame their relationship. The relationship becomes the scapegoat. Are you able to identify when that happens? Yeah, well, the frame of what I'm doing when I'm working with people is the expectation of the therapy is what we call secure functioning. So I want to see how you do take care of each other. And secure functioning is we have each other's back, we're in the foxhole together, 
we aren't doing things outside the relationship that is going to threaten. We're not talking to other people about what's going on for us. All of these kind of things. Just going to jump in there. What do you mean we're not talking to others about what's going on? Well, it can be very threatening when a partner hears that a man or a woman has gone and told their friends or a friend everything about what's going on in the relationship. That's the kind of stuff that you need to be checking out with each other, that it's okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Because what we're trying to do is reduce threat. So just asking for a friend here. Um, (laughs) So so I have a friend who is an oversharer with her friends about her relationship. Yep. You're saying that that can pose a threat to the partner. Yeah, if they find out and it's something quite personal or some people really don't want others to know if the relationship's in trouble, you know, particularly if they're presenting on social media something else, mm. you know, that, that you're all happy, that can potentially be a huge threat to the relationship. Mm. So secure functioning is it's you and I, we're in the couple bubble, okay, and that's in the book that I told you about earlier. Yeah. And we protect each other. We are a system and you're my go-to person and if we're going to sort things out, we do it between us. And going outside the relationship or having something exciting happen or something bad happen and you tell someone else before your partner, that kind of stuff can be really, really threatening. You know, if you, if you your partner becomes the fourth person you tell, mm. that person, they're going to be wondering, why didn't you tell me first? Now, not always but sometimes. The only thing I struggle with with that is what if friends are a great source of support for you? What if talking to friends about relationship troubles is a great way to, you know, almost like therapy to help support you through it? How do you how do you balance that out? You, well, you talk about things I think that you know your partner would be okay with. Okay. That if they did hear back what you're saying, that they would be okay with whatever you're discussing and make sure it's something that you have at least tried to discuss with them. Okay. And, and let them know, oh, you know, I don't want to talk to this about other, with other people. I want to talk about it with you. So we were talking a moment ago about self-worth and about what happens if our partner is blaming the relationship or one of us is blaming the relationship when we're really unhappy with our life. How can we support that partner and and how do you help those couples um, and those people differentiate? It's actually not the relationship's fault. It's actually self-work that needs to happen. I work more from a perspective that if we get the relationship right, Mm -hmm. that other things are going to take care of themselves. It underpins everything else. Yes. And, you know, that's true. It really is true. When your relationship is firing, you do feel good in other areas of your life. You've got resources. You've got resources to go yeah. out into the world and do the amazing things, you know, like you're doing right now. You know, it's yep. it's those things that when you have that support, because remember, we're, it's about survival. Mm-hmm. Everything's <laughs> about survival. And if that area is good, you're going to be more resourced Because if all your resources is going to arguing at home, trying to work things out all the time, that can become really distressing, tiring, and it can really wear people out. 
But if you can get that right at home, the other stuff does tend to take care of itself so long as both people are on board and have agreed why we're together, why we're doing this. And that is to stop that automating process. Yeah, okay. To stop it just being automatic, we're in love and this will all be okay. That's a mistake people make. So if someone listening now is seriously thinking that separation is the way forward, are there any questions that you would want to pose to them or steps that they could take to help them better understand what they should do? So if somebody is thinking, is out there and thinking about divorce, I highly recommend seeing a really good couple therapist, first of all. Yeah. The reason being is so much in it can be about past trauma or what's happened before this relationship. You know, if you came into this relationship and your last partner was incredibly unfaithful and then you marry this person and that becomes something that you bring in around trust and what's eroded the relationship is your constant mistrust of a very faithful partner. Mm. You need to be able to identify that. And the idea of being with a couple therapist, particularly someone worked in PACT, is that you know your partner. These vulnerabilities, your partner, if they know what's going on, are able to work with it better than I'm just, I'm just leaving you. Yeah, yeah, they understand you. They have the empathy. They look at your past trauma. They understand why your behaviours are like they are and they see that you want to fix it. Yeah, it's like a roadmap. It's like a manual on the person that I have has had this happen or, or that happen and this is how they've been shaped psychologically. This is my person and so I'm going to do all I can to take care of them particularly around their vulnerabilities. So over and above coming to couples therapy and and working with someone like you, are there any dynamics in the relationship that would help them? Is there anything, for example, you know, improving their communication style or like is there something that the listener could take home today and go, okay, I'm going to try this with my partner tonight and see if that makes a difference? Okay, so remember earlier I talked about the nervous system. Yes. You know, if couples can learn to regulate each other through touch, through words, through ritual, example would be if you're going off to work in the morning, make sure that the two of you check in, a big hug, have a good day. I know you've got that important meeting on. I'll be thinking about you. Okay. That is is something that regulates us and puts us in that zone of feeling okay. We call it the window of tolerance. Window of tolerance, I like that. Yeah, you're not not in the hyper zone or the hyper zone that I talked about before. Yeah. And then during the day, there might be a few check-ins, not all day, but, you know, hey, I love you, miss you, hope it's going well. And then at the end of the day, you can put a little note in lunchboxes, all of those kind of things. And at the end of the day... Again, that moment when you meet up again, it's kind of like children when they go off to school and you meet up with them at the end of the day. In romantic love, our brain pretty much operates the same as kids. (laughs) 
<laughs> we really are big children, let's face it. <laughs> so, you know, and then children, when they're going off to sleep, this is why we have sleep issues with children, you know, is they're going into their unconscious and they're technically leaving you. Yeah. And so, again, you know, the old advice of decades gone by, don't fall asleep on an argument, there's really yeah. some truth in that. Yeah. Because nighttime is when things can come up for people, mm. right? So making sure that that connection, however it is, and, and it might it might be sex, it might be a conversation, it might be doing something, you know, some people draw on each other's back with their finger, just something. Mm, little foot rub, watching the same show exactly. together, having a giggle about, you know, children's activities that they did that day. Just exactly. that, those little moments of connection. Really, really important parts of the day is separations and reunions. Separations and re- that where you have those connection opportunities that can really yep. have big bang for buck. Yep. Another one is gazing, not staring, gazing into each other's eyes. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I even get like warm and fuzzy just thinking about it and also think about my husband's reaction because he would laugh but he would actually love it. He would. I've heard of the six-second kiss, which I love this idea yes. as well. When was the last time you kissed your partner for six seconds? And even just for a laugh, go, we're going to kiss, literally touch lips for six seconds and, like, you'll laugh and it'll seem crazy. But, you know, what a great little exercise. Yep. <laughs> it's a lovely way for connection. Anything tactile, you know, with that physical body-to-body kind of experience, and that mm. doesn't always have to be sex. It's, it's not. It's just that you have that closeness and that touch. Yeah. It, it's, it's like... You know when a baby's close to mum's skin, when the baby's unsettled and they start to settle? Mm. Same concept with adults. Oh, Melissa, this has been such a fascinating chat. And, you know, one of the biggest takeouts for me that I've just sat and had a light bulb moment is your question about are you putting the relationship first or the family and actually doing a little audit. Just have a think about the last week and how many times you put your relationship first or how many times you put children or maybe other things first. And I really think that if we just, if that's the one thing that we take away from this chat today, I think that could be a game changer because you can literally say, when my partner arrives home, I'm putting you first, even if it's just for that couple of minutes Mm. when they get home. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope that for those listening that may be thinking that you know, they're at a a lost end. I hope there might have been some pointers that you can take home and and try with your partner. And please, if all else fails, absolutely go and see an amazing psychotherapist such as Melissa. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me here today. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips. Producer, Tina Matalov. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer executive producer Jennifer Goggin. For more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au. If you like my podcast or think other mums might find it helpful, please spread the word by sharing a link to your network of fellow mums. And feel free to drop me a line on Instagram anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Listener.